good thing, nothing wrong with that. But then we come across this love described in Scripture from God, and it's a very different thing than that. So now we have this God who doesn't need anything or anybody. Like, He is self-sufficient on His own, relationally intact, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and doesn't need us. And yet, He chooses to invest, not for His own benefit, but for ours. And that type of love is not the love that we see in the world. It's unique, it's altogether different, and it's deep. I think it takes a lot of work on our part to understand it. And it's a lifelong process, but man, it can change everything in our lives. I've talked to those that have followed Jesus for years, for decades, and sometimes I'll ask them, like, so what have you been learning, you know, from God recently? And they'll say, well, I'm just, God's love is really hitting me. And I think, man, that's, isn't that just an elementary truth? Haven't we gone on into some new things? And it's like, no, that is so powerful, and it can sustain us all the way to the grave. And it's that deep. And so we're going to talk a little bit about God's love this morning. And we're going to talk about a word that doesn't get used a lot. Like we've kind of lost the meaning of this word in contemporary culture. And so um, I talk about this when I do weddings. I've had the honor of doing a number of weddings over the years. And one of the themes that I focus on when I'm kind of discussing marriage is this biblical concept called covenant. Covenant. And that word even is somewhat foreign to us. Um, it's kind of lost its meaning. Maybe uh, five or six decades ago that the term covenant, some might be able to define it a little bit easier. But for now, I think in our society today, we just don't use that term very often. Um, it's not a part of our everyday language. And here's part of the reason that I think that that term has lost some of its meaning, is that marriage, the marriage covenant that we see in Scripture, um, marriage now has become primarily about us. It's about us. And so um, if we get our needs met, if we're happy, if we're loved well, if we're provided for in whatever way is most important for us, then we're all good. But if not, then oftentimes we're looking for an escape clause or a way out. And so that is not at all what God had in mind with this marriage covenant. Coke Zero, 44 ounces, excellent. 
breakfast of champions right there. So in reality, marriage was intended to be a picture of God and reflect Him to the world. And so marriage is primarily about Him, not us. It's primarily about Him and secondarily about us. We have flip-flopped that. And we've missed out on a lot of truth because of it. That's why many of today's marriages don't reflect God. They portray a, a, a picture of people that will leave each other when things get difficult and things get tough. Here's where this concept, where we tie this into Scripture. God's covenant love that is talked about in the Bible doesn't walk and doesn't leave regardless of whether we hold up anything in this bargain, so to speak. He fights for us. So, when we look at this real purpose of marriage and this marriage covenant, we're going to need to go back a little bit, and we're going to talk about this term that we see, um, like, generations of ago, it was called cutting a covenant, or like, um, sometimes we'll hear that, like, cutting a deal, that type of thing. So, cutting a covenant, and this is one of these things that's really easy for us to miss in Scripture, because again, it's not really part of our culture now, and so let's talk about this, and hopefully this helps in our understanding. First, a covenant in biblical times was this binding agreement between two people, and it was taken really seriously, okay? Um, and like I said, the language, the covenant language has really kind of been lost, but maybe 50 years ago, there were some remnants of it that were still around. Like, I remember as a kid saying or hearing people say, I promise, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Okay, we've heard that, right? That's kind of that, that um, covenant-type thinking that was still there a little bit. There was this promise that I'm making a promise, and if I don't, may this awful thing be done to me. And it's kind of gruesome. But if you said that when you were a kid, it carried a little more weight. You know, like, I'm really serious here, okay? So, if we go back to the Old Testament, we have this description of cutting a covenant where you had two individuals who would cut an animal, sacrifice an animal, cut it into pieces, spread the parts of the, the pieces of the animal um, from side to side, and then they would walk through those parts while they would make vows to one another. And essentially, the picture was that, may this be done to me 
if I break this promise and I break this vow. So it was a visual picture that I'm making this vow and I'm serious. And if we don't keep this, may this be done to us. And so it's, it's kind of gruesome. Um, I'm sure it was shocking. It was powerful. It was a striking reminder that we made these promises to one another. And they would recite that as they're walking through the broken pieces. So, couldn't just be dismissed easily. And it created this bond of commitment with these two people, just knowing what was at stake. Okay? So, some of this has survived culturally, although we live in litigious, like, happy America where you can sign papers and you can have contracts or you can make promises and you can just walk back on them just like that. Okay? Um, but all of us have a few trusted people that we know that when they look you in the eye and they shake your hand, that you know whatever they just said they were going to do, they're going to do, no matter what. Some of us have those types of relationships. I had that with a friend that um, when we were in a building previous to this, we were in what's now the Ace Cafe, but back when we were in there, it was called Eight Seconds, okay? And it was an old country western bar, and I got to know the owner well, and we spent a lot of time together. And it was interesting, people in the church, when we started renting the place, people in the church wanted me to have a contract. Like, we really need to protect ourselves and what, you know, how much the rent is going to be and everything just needs to, like, could we legally just make sure that we have some documents? <clears throat> and I mentioned that to Bill, and he was just like, are you serious? I was like, that's crazy. I would never, I gave you my word. You have this place, period, no matter what. And I'm never going to back out on that. And here's how much you're going to pay. And you will not pay a dime more. And he said, we don't need any. We don't need anything written down. And I knew it. I knew it. And I came back to some of the leadership team, and they're like, gosh, it really makes us nervous. And I was like, hey, sorry. I'm sorry. But it was, it was partly offensive to Bill to hear that. Like, seriously? You don't trust me? And lo and behold, every promise he ever gave me, he kept it. 100%. Nothing in writing, never had to. It was neat to have that. Some of us have some really trustworthy people, and those people are rare. I can't go through a teaching without mentioning Dumb and Dumber, but, like, do you remember when Harry and Lloyd, they got all that money at one point, and they were spending it like crazy, and uh, they kind of spent it all, and at one point, one of them was like, you know, are we going to pay them back, Right? Lloyd was like, yeah, IOUs, of course, we're good for it. And then he says, or what is our bond? <laughs> you know, 
Well, yeah, sure. That, unfortunately, is oftentimes the way, uh, I don't know, agreements or contracts work these days. So back to Scripture, I promise here, and biblical covenants. In the Old Testament, we see how seriously they took these covenant principles. And so that's why I bring this up in regard to marriage, where you have these two parties that are making vows to one another. And God defines that as a covenant. It's not a contract. It's not a 50-50, like if you do half, I do half, and that's how it works. It's both of us are all in 100%. And I love the vows. The vows are not dependent on the good performance of the other or excellent circumstances. In fact, I love the vows. I was talking about with our daughter. Our daughter, Corinne, loves to talk about weddings and loves to talk about marriage and stuff like that. That's apparently, I don't know, it's our only girl. This happens a lot, okay? I'm just starting to figure it out. So, um, and we were talking about it, like in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, for richer or for poorer, the, stir- the circumstances or the performance of the other like, doesn't determine whether they're going to walk on each other. Because all of those things are going to happen at some point. Their circumstances are going to stink And there's going to be sickness and there's going to be health. And those of us that have been married long enough know this. Those vows that we said when we were in our 20s, all of a sudden, man, we really are living those out. So there's this covenant with one another that we are not going to walk no matter what. I would say in my marriage, we've been married 25 years, I have not met Allison's needs all the time, not even close, and she has not walked on me. That's covenant marriage. So that is what reflects God's character to the world, and here's why. We're going to go to this gem of a story in Genesis where God demonstrates this type of covenant commitment with Abram, okay? And eventually with us, his people. And so let's head back to Genesis 15. So if you got Bibles, there's Bibles over there. There's some in the back. If you don't have one, then grab one. You can grab one now. Or if you don't want to get up in front of everybody, Grab one and take it home. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a Bible if you don't have one. So Genesis 15, verses 1 through 21, we have them up here. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I am your reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? 
And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now let's just stop right there. Abram just believed that promise. That's it. He believed what God just told him. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? He's already like, well, that's great. How am I going to really know for sure this is going to happen? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So right now, God's like, I'm going to cut a covenant with you right now. You want to know how this is going to work? Okay. Here comes the vow that I'm going to make. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Not sure why we needed that detail. But then birds of prey come down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting... Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Abram's asleep. He's not making vows. God's making vows. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So God, while he's asleep, God makes the promises. Here's my vows. Here's what's going to happen. Verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Okay, in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit and God showing up sometimes as fire, like fire in the burning bush. In the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit descending on disciples, and there's little tongues of fire. And so most scholars would say, that's God right there, showing up in this form as this smoking fire pot with a blazing torch that appears and walks between the pieces, okay? On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said... To your descendants, I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. The land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, 
tells them about the rest of those people groups in the land that they have. They all end with ites. Lots of pastors like to say, and the mosquito bites right there. So, yeah, it's an awful joke. It's terrible. So, anyways, so God is making these promises. And so if we go back to verse 5, he takes Abram, see this, look at the sky. See those stars? That is what your offspring is going to be like. You can't even count them. You know who he's referring to? Us. That's us. Everyone that follows after you and believes God, believes what I say and what I promise, it'll be credited to them as righteousness. That's us right there in this story. Verses 12 through 17. God is making promises and vows to him. And then shows up and walks through the broken animal parts. Now, Abram doesn't have to make a promise or make a bargain with him in order for God to keep his promise. God is keeping it no matter what. No matter what. So verse 6, Abram, if we can just go back to there, Elizabeth, thank you. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That is for us too. His descendants are anyone that believes God's promise. And then he credits Abram with righteousness. Did, did he do anything in this case, Abram? No. All he did was believe in faith in the promise that God gave him. So, some 4,000 years ago, God cut this covenant, maybe even longer, with Abram, but it's with us too. This is the beginning, and it started in Genesis. Started way back in Genesis in the garden when there was a screw-up, and man and women, women, Adam and Eve, that there was shame and nakedness, and God steps in, sacrifices an animal, and covers that shame. Okay, so someone here, is everybody kind of getting this so far? Hopefully. I, I realize for some of us, we've heard this, some that maybe have grown up in churches, you've heard some of these biblical things talked about. For others, totally new, and you're a little bit like, well, this is really weird. Hopefully, this will make more sense as we continue, okay? All right. We see here that it tells us that God is walking through the broken pieces. So God enters into the covenant, 
And when we look at Abram and Abraham's life, who actually breaks the covenant? God does not. Abram believes God, and that's credited to him as righteousness, but he falls short in a lot of ways, just like us. Okay, here's where this then moves ahead in the story to us, okay? Remember, that promise of, okay, there's bodies that are broken, and if there's sin and the promises are broken, then may this be done to me. Okay? Is that connecting in any way? Is there anybody that's seen how this connects? This is one of the things about Scripture is that there are these different ways that the gospel message is described all the way through from the beginning to the end in different types of ways, all right? These agreements or covenants or events foreshadow for us future events and teach us the gospel. Now, there was that broken body for Abram. God keeps His Word, and He's faithful to His promise. Jesus was the broken body for us. The sacrifice that was broken and that's part of the reason, really the main reason, that it's described as this new covenant. So Jesus holds up this bread when He's with His disciples. And He says, this is my body which will be broken for you. I will pay your death penalty for you. You have not been faithful to the promise. You have not been faithful to me, but I am faithful. And I will not walk on you. I will be with you forever. And then it comes back to that personal belief just like with Abram, who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, that is the decision that we are left with. Will we believe God that he died to pay our death penalty for us so we can be forgiven? If we do that, that is credited to us as righteousness. And we are considered righteous before God. So Jesus knew this covenant concept would be something that we'd struggle with. Like, 
holding on to it and understanding this. And so he says this, do this in remembrance of me. When he's talking about communion and the Lord's Supper with those disciples. And God's good at this, using visual aids to help us remember. And so we're going to do this. We are going to take the bread and the juice in his memory, reminding ourselves that God made a covenant with his people back then and with us. And to those that believe the promise, we're forgiven. He paid, his body was broken for our unfaithfulness. And so now we have this new covenant. This new covenant. So from Genesis all the way to us right now, it's the same message. We're not faithful. God's faithful. He pays the penalty. He's the one that walks through and is broken for us. It's an amazing truth. So, we're going to take some time now, and Carrie and Jesse are going to lead us in like three or four songs. And so, during that time, I just want to encourage you, get up, grab some of the bread, grab bread, grab juice, go back to your seat. Think about that. Pray about that. Thank God that He was broken for you that there's this new covenant that was better than the others, this one that lasts forever, blood that was shed, he says, for the forgiveness of our sin, and he paid it for us, and we don't deserve it, and we didn't earn it, and it was a gift, and we have a God who is faithful to us even when we're not. That is amazing news. That was hard to understand for those first disciples. They were so used to just having a contract, and you do this and this and this, and then you please God, and then He's happy with you. And all of a sudden, a new message comes along and says, you can try all those things. You're never going to be good enough. It's all based on if He is good enough, and then if you believe what He did in your place. That was a new message. That's, it was incredible. It was called good news. Because it was sinners like us who don't do much. Like God promises us and He's faithful to us and He paid the penalty for us too. It's an amazing thing. So, Let's think about that. Let's pray about that. Thank God for that. And remember that this is part of the reason he asked us to do this for generations and generations on, is that I want you to, to remember my body was broken for you. My blood was shed for you. And this is the new covenant. And we're in this. And even though you've been unfaithful, I'm keeping my bargain. I'm keeping my side. Shouldn't even say it that way. I'm keeping my word. And that's that you are deemed righteous and forgiven.
It's an incredible thing. So these guys are going to lead us in worship. Grab, there's two tables here. Head back to your seat. Take that at any point. And then we'll finish. I'll come up at the end and we'll pray together.